Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Dan Baird, uh, CEO and founder of Wrench AI. Website is uh, wrench.ai. So, Dan, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the time. Yeah. All right. Tell me about Wrench. Uh, I guess first of all, you know, what do you do, and then why the name Wrench? I guess because it's a tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, I kind of come from a background as a little bit of a professional entrepreneur, if you will. I kind of grew up as a, a little bit of a, a launch strategist and did it for myself with uh, my first company. I was a co-founder of a company called Lovestack, and we made some really, really big beanbags. Uh, they actually IPO'd about a month ago. After that, I went and worked for ConAgra in their product launch department and basically co-developed new brands and new kind of uh, platforms there. And then after that, went and founded a company called Crack the Crowd, which built kind of digital insight strategies for crowdfunding startups. So we basically built the plans that helped them fundraise and maximize their fundraising potential using crowdfunding. So all of these, all of these gigs were kind of creating a new product and presenting it to the public um, in different forms, right? In some cases, I was doing it for myself and in others, I was working for someone else. But that gig was always kind of how do you create something from nothing and go from zero to one conceptually? And uh, Wrench, uh, as, as you've noticed, yes, uh, we are a tool that uh, kind of collaborates with you to help and simplify your product launch and kind of your product outreach process. Um, we've created artificial intelli- intelligence uh, empowered software that basically combines a lot of the insights that are locked inside of someone's existing CRM. So like they're uh, the uh, the contact info that you already have about existing customers. Um, we use that to start to give you larger and deeper insights into kind of how they think and what kind of products they may or may not be interested in. So what's, uh, and without giving away proprietary info for a specific client, you know, any case studies or things you could say that are interesting? Uh, we have a few. I mean, like right now, we're launching into kind of a beta program. So we're actually using... The, the methodology in this is actually a lot of the same kind of insights and built on kind of some of the premises that I mentioned earlier. It comes from work that we've been doing for, oh man, coming up on two decades now. So some of the strategy behind it is, you know, very much kind of established, uh, you know, as, um, as kind of use cases. We, we built a product at uh, Crack the Crowd called Parkour uh, that would essentially just take a lot of the insights where someone would say, okay, I need to raise X amount of money. And that would sometimes be be, you know, 10,000, that would sometimes be, you know, billion. Um, we would basically look at the people in their database, reverse engineer, who are these people and, and uh, what type of work do they do? What type of jobs do they have? What type of products are they interested in? Um, and we would start to come up with and generate data that would help them understand what converting them into customers would cost and how much it would be worth. Um, so we have a, a several that are kind of built into those and we have some, you know, the product is live and we've got case studies on our website right now. Uh, one of the most recent kind of client adopters was called uh, Upside Avenue. This is like a, a real estate firm that specializes in multifamily real estate. And uh, we basically took their investor list and showed them four or five different ways they could cut it to kind of maximize the potential of everyone that was on there, right? What method to reach out, 
um, who may or may not you you may or may not want to save toward the end of your selling cycle, maybe so you can develop kind of a, a little bit of a feedback round where you learn from a handful of the people that you can kind of afford to make mistakes with. Either they're, you know, they, they display either a profession or uh, maybe a shared profession with you that sometimes implies that um, they're more willing to give you feedback. And then we save the ones that really are able to write large checks towards the end so that you've got the pitch down, really. You know, you've really kind of nailed it before you go to the ones where it really matters. So that's one of the existing examples. Well, how do you know, um, you know, looking at a database, I mean, you know, how would you oh, find yeah. out the factors that would mean someone would uh, spend more money with you or be a better customer or that kind of thing? Uh, we combine a lot of kind of digital marketing strategy with a lot of publicly available data. So you can go through and, and take someone's contact info and find them on platforms that they want to be found on, quite frankly. Like, you know, you hear stuff in the news where people are going through like un, unfamiliar, they're selling data um, in a way that, that the consumer doesn't ultimately like. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, there's a lot of other platforms like LinkedIn and other things like that where people are much more, well, they actually want themselves to be found on a platform like that, right? Um, and there's other locations like SEC data and other things that where uh, people are actually publishing uh, their their financial fundraisers or other equity fundraising expertise or uh, f past fundraisers where you can start to tie them to specific industry expertise, product titles, um, and then uh, you can use that to start to understand, okay, cool, this is where they spend their professional time, this is where they spend their time and money when they aren't on the clock, so to speak, and you can use that stuff and kind of create overlays that help you understand how educated are they in a category. And if you understand how educated they are in a category, you can start to understand, all right, am I going to be spending a lot of time teaching them uh, how this product works and what it does, or are they really well educated already? And I just need to show them why I'm different than the next competitor, right? That sense? Does the analysis require, you know, the the company that has the data getting more data, or do they usually have plenty in order to make determinations? We tried to build a process that wades companies into the deep end, so to speak. Um, you know, when we came into this, my side of the equation, when we kind of uh, merged companies. Uh, my side of the, the equation was largely product focused and the other teams were more focused on the data scientists, data science and software. And when I started uh, becoming familiar with how those other operations worked, um, it really brought a lot to light. And one of those really, really big insights is one, just the significance of artificial intelligence and like it, you hear it in this space a lot, but it's not a joke. It's going to change the world and how we think it's, it's industrial revolution size. Uh, technological advancement in terms of kind of the scope and how it will impact our lives. But simultaneously, how it works and how people understand it and how they implement it is a huge gray area. And I've never seen a space that had a larger gap between kind of the technical minds in the space and the consumers of it. There's a, there's a ton of applications for this and almost any process that you can automate and anything that you can break down into basically one second segments and one second decisions, you can turn into AI and, you know, sooner even more than that. Um, but the, uh, the, the challenge in terms of like, what do we apply? How do we apply it? And then the business owner's skepticism of, Hey, did you actually make a good decision? And will it work is really, 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 really high. Um, and uh, so what we wanted to do is, as we implemented that wrench process, we wanted to wade people into the deep end where they started with no data. I mean, you know, in some cases, 
we need you to bring like your existing kind of database so we understand where you are in your product purchase and launch cycles and what existing products are already on the market. Anytime we have access to more data that's already been built, the better. Um, but in the event that someone was really launching a new startup with a new company, um, we could take very, very small amounts of data um, and build something, you know, and again, the more they integrate, the more they provide, the better the predictions and accuracy become, but it isn't required. And that, that beta product serendipity was decided, was uh, intended to be a bolt-on to like, say, an intercom instance or another CRM application uh, where we can basically use just contact info and uh, go and enrich that from LinkedIn sources and other sources that I've already mentioned to start building a lot of that that data and a lot of those insights. It's about one to two man hours worth of research per contact in your database in you know seconds, milliseconds in some cases. So what? Uh, so I guess the low hanging fruit is because you have contact data, you cross reference it with, like you said, LinkedIn and other data sources, and you're able to tell a lot more about who's in your database and kind of silo them into, uh, let's say, people that have money or people that have transacted with other companies before or that kind of thing? Yeah, and that, yes. And as you mentioned, that's low-hanging fruit. The cool stuff that, that AI can really do that really starts to kind of blow your mind is when you start to see that they can reverse engineer what type of personality type you have based on the words and the semantic selection you make in your language, right? Um, that's where you can start to discern and understand, like, hey, is someone an extrovert? And you can start to understand, yes, they are, right? An extrovert is much more likely to talk about interactions with larger groups of friends and family and stuff like that. So if you were just looking at, like, a LinkedIn profile and they were talking a lot about barbecuing and friends and family on the weekend, I mean, that's the simple version of it. But it's one of those things that in often, in, often, uh, in cases you don't recognize uh, that until you're actually able to really have someone with infinite amounts of man hours the way AI would sit down with each individual and each profile and each user behavior and each post on, you know, uh, LinkedIn to say, what does this potentially tell us about that? You said there's a big disconnect between the technical side and, you know, the, the usefulness side of the, you know, the practical side. Sure. Um, and largely what we, the, the nickname of serendipity is this beta product launch uh, was intended to find something that one connected really easy to someone's existing marketing and, and CRM systems but simultaneously was the equivalent of programming luck into your business model. What we were saying, you know, can we make an experience where people don't even act differently, where they use their existing methodology, um, where they don't get trained on a new application or anything like that, but they just start operating more efficiently without having to do anything else, retrain anybody and whatever. That's why serendipity, right? It's like, hey, sound luck, it just started working. So what we found was uh, uh, started building programming and um, person matching relationships that started to match people with other like-minded individuals uh, just because like certain people are going to potentially have a better interpersonal interaction with someone on the phone that they've never met before. Um, if, say, for instance, they're both extroverts, that's actually a pretty easy example. Um, extroverts both kind of understand the rules of the game that they play by. They understand kind of how the other person thinks. And because they both have that kind of shared experience, it means that they can focus on the outcome of that conversation, whether it's a customer service call or a sales call. Um, but even if they don't necessarily negotiate a better outcome for themselves, they actually perceive it as a better experience just because there was less stress in figuring out how does this person think. Um, so that was one of the premises and one of the places that we started was pairing people with others that will actually share some kind of interpersonal traits that will streamline the conversation and allow them to have a better one. Hmm. So, um, 
what would be most useful to an organization then? Like when you first get into a database, do you think personality is the most useful to help the sales team or is it, uh, you know, do they have money to buy stuff? One of the first things, like if we haven't connected to literally understand who's already purchased before, um, one of the first things that we find the most useful is starting to understand, uh, based on that, that existing research, how educated someone like is likely to be in your space. Because we can't, you know, this you, you hear about some of these things, you go, well, you can actually figure out a lot about a person. It kind of sounds spooky in some in some in some instances. And the reality is, is yes, you can learn a lot simultaneously. I can't convince you to do something that you don't want to do anyways, right? You're, you know, you're obviously a, a very smart, sentient being, and uh, there's very few individuals out there that you could convince to do something that they didn't want to do, buy something they didn't want to buy. Um, and uh, the uh, the usefulness in, in many of those cases is finding out how much education someone has, not just, you know, let's say at, at a school, that's almost, you know, irrelevant. But when someone's attending, you understand how much and how versed are they in a very specific category, and usually the one that we are trying to kind of operate in. At the very least, you can understand that if I engage those people, they're much, much closer to a buying decision if they haven't made one already. And simultaneously, if I get on the phone, the likelihood that I have to explain how this product works and what other steps they need to understand to implement it gets lower and lower and lower. So even though I can't necessarily tell you exactly who will and will not buy, I can tell you who will be that much faster to make a purchasing decision for you and be able to give you feedback on a more meaningful level. Um, so that's one of the first places we start is we start detecting language that evolves as people evolve as they move through the category, right? So imagine if you're like running, if you're, if you're uh, buying running shoes, um, someone at the open end of the category might talk about them as just running shoes. Someone that is in the middle of the purchase category or the purchase of uh, the middle of the buying journey uh, will get more sophisticated language and they'll start saying Nike and Adidas and other things. And then if they get to the end of that buyer's journey, the likelihood that they can start talking about very specific product models goes up. So as you start detecting that different kind of semantic use of language, you can start understanding, I, I can't prove yet whether or not they've bought or not, you know, because rarely do people explicitly say, you know, I picked up XYZ pair of shoes. But the uh, the way that their language has evolved as, as they have gone through that category uh, helps you understand, well, if I get on the phone and I say, hey, I've got a brand new AirCloud Nimbus, uh, you know, it's a brand new model, what do you think? You can get actually a reasonable response on, oh, okay, I know what that is. I didn't buy it because, or, oh, actually, I've already been shopping. Them. Do you think that, I mean, I don't know, our businesses, when, when they see what you can do, are they, what's their reaction? Are they resistant? Do they think that it'll work for them or not work for them? Like, what's the, I don't know. I'm sure you get all kinds yeah. of responses, but are they excited? Um, what happens? We get a lot of wow when, when people look at the actual results during demos. So, you know, you, you're beginning to kind of show them what their own data does. Um, and uh, the results there are usually a wow. And simultaneously, a little bit of a skeptical one. Um, we try to sit down and basically say, okay, cool, we've got the first one. Let's see what we can do with it when we start integrating it with live data because they'll obviously be able to tell us and help us understand the people within their 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 purchasing funnel um, more and more directly. So, um, But, yeah, it gets to be wow. And, it, again, most AI, you know, contrary to popular belief, really is about process automation. It's about making small decisions milliseconds fast, even faster than that. 
Um, so the, a lot of the trick is essentially figuring out systems where you can start to break down how a decision is made into um, small enough increments and then into uh, smaller systems where you can check on it. We call it supervised learning, uh, where a human can be in the loop and detect, you know, how is this kind of decision being made or at least just checking the output. Am I okay with this output uh, more often than not? So uh, we usually get wow, and then we get a little bit of skeptical, uh, skepticism, and then we get a, a check to the database, and they go, well, that one's not right. And we go, yeah, but check, check more. Don't just check one. Check a larger swath. And then when they, when they start looking at the full list, they usually start going, oh, I see how it got there. I'll be honest. I had the same kind of skepticism. When we push out a lot of the numbers and the data and the lead scores, um, and the preferred contact channels and the, and the preferred person to pick up the phone. Um, even I look at it and I go, that can't be right. And then I start digging through the data and everything that made the decision. And I go, oh, wow, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That is actually the, that's the same decision I would have made. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a very cool world and it's a very nifty kind of, it's a, it's a very nifty kind of vantage point to be you know, watching a space, helping people evolve this quickly, right? Like every company on the planet has a marketing and sales division on some level. Mm. Um, and when you look at the people that can adopt this type of technology, there's, you know, there's research platforms and firms out there that have basically estimated that literally trillions of dollars is up for grabs because if you can make those systems that much more efficient, you're just taking business away from a competitor. Um, so it's really cool to be on kind of the, the side of the equation where you're helping people kind of devise those systems and figure out how do we make them that much more quickly? How do we make those those interactions with our customers and prospects that much more meaningful? So who's a good candidate to use this? You know, any business? Uh, do they have to have a certain number of clients, like, you know, in the thousands or tens of thousands? Or you know, what's, what's the recommendation? Um, we're uh, the the more data that a client has, the better. I mean, artificial intelligence is really, really hungry for data, um, and the more you can you can feed to it, the better it does. And as I mentioned, you know, as I mentioned, we tried to mitigate that by by finding data sources that we could connect to, whether or not you had them, that would kind of help the process along. Um, and we focused it on some general kind of skill sets that almost any business would have: customer service, sales, and marketing. Um, that being said, the, the team that kind of founded the startup, our expertise in certain verticals help us, and that's usually where we focus a little bit more. So we're looking at lot, a lot of e-commerce companies. Um, we're looking at companies that are in, like, finance, um, and um, uh, we're looking at a lot of companies in fundraising for that reason. Um, but right now, if you want to go and, and check out the beta, you're welcome to on Wrench AI. Sign up and just, you know, submit your, your email into that system because as long as you have one of the larger CRMs, uh, you know, being like Salesforce, Intercom, uh, Zoho type stuff, uh, as long as you have one of the larger CRMs and your company's operating with that and you have basically more than usually I say 5,000 for me is probably the low end. Um, that's usually the sweet spot and where it starts to really kind of become more and more efficient. Um, but uh, you can do it with databases less than a thousand and still get meaningful insights out of them. So um, anyone and everyone that wants to sign up will happily will happily notify you um, as the the CRM comes online. And then um, we have packages and we have some um, some starter beta packages that actually allow people to get the first of their like, I think it's the first one thousand uh, contacts that they have in their database for free. Well, what's the is it pricing by number of contacts or is it by level of yeah. uh, analysis? Yeah, it's, it's usually month. Yeah, it's a combination of those two exactly. So it's monthly active users combined with the level of data integration that we need to go into. So if we need no data integration whatsoever, we don't charge you for it. 
Um, but uh, as I mentioned, the, once you kind of get through that initial pass and if they want to go deeper and say, all right, let's start generating lead scores and applying kind of um, existing trial and repeat purchase behavior to what you've already got, that's where it starts to go up a little bit more. But um, it's, a, it's a pretty easy uh, to understand kind of model and it's priced really favorably for the client. Well, you said, is it, so is it in beta or is it ready to be uh, deployed? Like what stage is it at? If, you know, if someone goes and signs up today, can you work with them or do they have to wait for a while? Um, it depends on which CRM and system they use. So uh, we have several that are in the pipeline now. We've already integrated it with um, Intercom. I think there are near ready with Salesforce, but if they go sign up now, they'll be notified in the very near future. Um, there's also in some cases ways that we can do stuff very easily. Uh, just uh, in via database swaps, right? Where we can either, you know, as, as rudimentary as just passing CSVs back and forth if they need to. Um, but we can uh, we can service everybody that signs up now. So. Okay. Well, very good. So, uh, where should people go? Just wrench.ai, or is there another URL? Yeah, better? yeah. Go to the website. It's uh, wrench.ai. Uh, you'll see the uh, the the subscribe box at the top there. And uh, go ahead and subscribe to the Serendipity Beta if you want to hear more. Um, if you have any questions, you're more than welcome to hit me up. Um, I'm in Dan at Wrench AI. I will actually respond to your email. So. And uh, all right, what's ahead for um, for the next year or so? Like, how is this platform going to grow and evolve, or do you just need more, you know, use cases in order for it to really see what it can do? Uh, we're going to be involving it uh, over the next year. So we focused on those verticals as the uh, the initial kind of launch pad. We'll be integrating larger and larger data sources, and we'll be handling more and more data types. So uh, AI has been evolving. It's starting to incorporate, and in, in, well, not starting to, but um, we're starting to get more abilities to handle more data types and generate more insights out of them, right? So uh, you're starting to see a lot more companies that are focusing on how do we incorporate the use of photos, headshots, um, and uh, video into the product, and how can we glean insights on either how the product's being used, uh, and other things from more rich media data sources, as they call them, unstructured media. So we'll be processing and expanding the product in the next year to handle those. Any, um, you know, really surprising or unusual insights you've gotten from running it? I've learned data? a ton of, <laughs> yeah, um, I've learned a lot about myself, uh, kind of uh, going through a lot of the strategies and how a lot of this stuff kind of connects from one place to the other. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of, like, in testing the product, um, other people that kind of align with me that kind of surprised me. Um, and uh, I've learned about uh, a lot about kind of how people work and don't work. And I've especially probably learned the most just about the AI. I mean, again, I'm, I'm the less technical side of the equation at our company. I'm more the product and the, the software intelligence. But the, uh, the, the significance of what artificial intelligence actually is capable of and is not capable of, um, how much more hype it's received than it deserves in terms of kind of narrow AI intelligence, right? That very specific one-second decision-making. Um, but how incredibly significant that decision-making will be for our society is huge. Um, for anybody out there, I mean, it's one of those things where I am not convinced in any way, shape, or form that anybody is safe uh, from AI. And, and uh, the, the game is beginning to become who can, be, who can create the most innovative and creative tool faster. And I think many, many more technologies and many more uh, companies will feel that pressure. We feel it a lot right now, but I just think it's gonna get faster, stronger, um, and uh, people are gonna be focusing on, all right, how can we do bigger, fewer, better, 
innovation strategies in the future. And for that, I think we're, we're in a really fun spot and a really innovative and kind of interesting spot. And I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Well, last question. What do you mean uh, you don't know if anyone's going to be safe from AI? Meaning just it's going to affect your life regardless? Or did you mean something else? It means that any part of your job that, revol- that involves a repetitive process is going to go away. Uh, it means that the really, really hard things, and, you know, they can, they can, in my opinion, you can still kind of fake it where they can say, hey, AI can write a symphony. Um, AI can review 100,000 past historical works. It can make deductions on, you know, what the structure of those works are and then kind of replicate them. Um, but the most safe person in this kind of new economy is going to be the creative one. It's going to be the person that, I mean, you're already seeing it a lot of uh, self-driving cars, right? These are totally repetitive process type tasks, but they're ones that actually drive a lot of employment in this country. Um, yeah, the parts of your job that require continual manual data entry. And I mean, again, the more and more you think about what do I do more than once every day, literally only need to think about once and you realize how much of your job that is. So like, here's another kind of use case. If someone was building a, a job description, uh, they could have, you know, you have like an HR person and they have that stack of 100 resumes in front of them. Um, and they're basically trying to understand, all right, who amongst these 100 resumes has the technical skills and abilities that I need uh, to, uh, to, to do my job in picking the right candidate? And there's some complexity there. So keyword research by itself is out, right? Uh, there's, there's software programs called Go. So the keyword Go is just too general and it's just too confusing for a keyword research tool to, to uh, devise. Um, the AI could go through that pile and it wouldn't pick out like the outlier genius that no one had thought of, but it will probably pick out the top five candidates that you will have picked three or four from, and it will do it in a millisecond. Now, your, your job doesn't necessarily go away as that hiring manager, but it does mean that you, you create that job posting, and as soon as you hit the enter key, you potentially have 100 very viable candidates turned down to, turned into five extremely competent candidates immediately. And now your job becomes interacting with those candidates as opposed to spending an entire day just sorting, filtering, and going through them. It means you can potentially do five to 10 to 20 times as many placements by yourself that you could have you know, done even a week ago without that technology. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the job is completely going away, but it does mean that that job changes dramatically in terms of what it does. It becomes very quickly a person-to-person interaction. Um, and a lot of the work that we do in fintech, there's a lot of investment capital. There's a lot of people that are working with robotic investment advisors. Have you heard of these robo-advisors like Wealthfront and things like that? Uh, they uh, basically yeah. found that your, your wealth management advisor was picking and choosing stocks, and they weren't right all that often. They created algorithms that could start picking and choosing stocks way more efficiently and way less expensively than any investment manager could. And that job didn't necessarily go away, but what it is turning into right now is a person-to-person basis. It becomes, well, the technology is going to pick a better stock than I could. What I can do personally is pick a very personalized experience, and I can really understand the risks, the challenges, and the life stage events that you're going through. So I can understand what types of thoughts and questions I need to ask you about what the ideal risk profile for your portfolio looks like. But that person's job as a stockbroker is very much now understanding the person that they're investing on behalf of because the actual investment is taken care of by algorithms that are 
just way more efficient than we'll ever be. So um, it changes what we do and how we do it pretty dramatically. Uh, I mean, again, there's white collar, blue collar. It's all, you know, everything. There's AI algorithms that are picking ideal heads of lettuce and stuff right now. They're just that good at recognizing them in less than a split second and telling you whether or not to pick that one or give it another week till it's right. Um, right. So okay. everyone's job will be impacted. Well, very good. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate your insights. And uh, I'm going to check out Wrench and I, you know, I hope listeners will as well. Thank you. I appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, uh, we appreciate the time and looking forward to the next You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.